This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 6, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. North Korea's July 4th missile test was presented as a gift to the United States, with the ominous suggestion that more gifts might follow. Cato senior fellow Doug Bandow recently returned from North Korea, discusses the regime and how their new plays are being received in Washington. North Korea has tested ICBMs, um, and there is a growing sense that at some point, uh, one of those could reach the United States. How concerned are you about that? Well, no one thinks it's a good idea for this regime to have nuclear weapons and especially long-range missiles. On the other hand, we've lived with you know, really ugly regimes having nuclear weapons and long-range missiles before. Joseph Stalin had them. Mao Zedong had them. You know, these are two of the greatest mass murderers in human history. You know, I think the critical thing about North Korea to, you know, to recognize is this is a regime bent on survival, not suicide. I mean, I tell people that Kim Jong-un, this, you know, the so-called supreme leader, he wants his virgins in this world, not the next. So I don't think he will intentionally start anything. What makes me nervous, frankly, is more a sense of mistake, of error, you know, bad judgment. And that, frankly, could come not only on the North Korean side, it could come on the U.S. side. All right. So um, are we to take any solace in the fact that North Korea has not attacked South Korea? Yes. I think what it shows is deterrence works. That is, it's a regime that knows it would lose. It's not interested in that. You know, it can start the game, but it would lose the game in the end. So the good news is deterrence does work. It worked against, uh, again, Mao Zedong. It worked against Joseph Stalin. No surprise that it works against Kim Jong-un. The problem is, again, this is a bad regime. It's a regime that is unpredictable. And if you get into kind of the middle of what's going on, you know, the question is, if there, you know, do we uh, come to South Korea's defense if there's some military incident? Are we prepared to take military action if the North has you know, nuclear weapons they could put on top of a missile? Everything becomes much more dangerous and much more unpredictable. So I certainly would prefer them not have it. On the other hand, I don't think we should panic. I think what we're doing, frankly, is giving him a lot of satisfaction where he's seeing the greatest power on earth, people essentially running around headless, you know, as if the world's about to end tomorrow. It's not. It's not a good situation, but it's not something to panic over. The regime tested ICBMs on July 4th. They presented this as a gift to the United States and said that uh, more gifts may be forthcoming. Well, the Kim Jong-un, the the so-called supreme leader, has really accelerated this program. We've seen both nuclear testing as well as missile testing. They are making clear progress. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, this missile they just tested has gone further than any other. It shows they are attaining a capability of ICBMs. You know, this one probably could hit Alaska. That still doesn't mean they can aim them at anything. Nevertheless, they're moving in the direction that if nothing stops them, at some point, they will have the capability to target American cities. There's no doubt about that. And that's you know, a very sobering prospect. On the other hand, we've dealt with this before. The critical question is we have to assess kind of everything here. The problem is it throws into uncertainty America's alliance system. Are we prepared to actually go to war you know, for the South if the North could hit the United States with nuclear weapons? You know, it requires a lot of thinking here, which Americans haven't bothered thinking about for a very long time. What was the general um, stance from the Obama administration with respect to North Korea? The Obama administration basically gave up kind of dealing with it. That is, they thought it was pretty hopeless. They looked at past efforts to reach agreements, felt the North Koreans would cheat. 
and didn't see much reason to devote a lot of attention to it. I think they viewed it as essentially a no-win situation. The idea of strategic patience was, well, things are moving, but not terribly quickly, and let's hope something kind of works out. And it turns out that policy wasn't very effective. You know, the North Koreans, when ignored, simply proceeded along with both nuclear weapons development and missile development. So we're at a much worse stance today than we were eight years ago. And the Trump administration, what's been their uh, movement so far? It seems a lot closer to the uh, Bush administration, not really a policy, but sort of a, a characterization of the regime as especially uh, dangerous and especially um, uh, had the potential to engage in hostilities. That's right. And apparently part of that comes, ironically enough, from President Obama. That is, he apparently warned President Trump coming in that this could be his biggest problem. They put a much higher priority on it. They put it front and center in dealing with China, which makes a lot of sense, though they really didn't follow through. And what we see today is, you know, they're calling this the biggest threat that's out there, a threat to the world, et cetera. So they are putting a lot of effort into this. The problem is so far, I, I don't see much of a policy that's different from that of the Obama administration. They want China to do more. Well, Obama did as well. You know, they're threatening the North with military action. Well, so did President Obama. So beyond that, kind of so what? We don't see much action beyond that. We'll see what they come up with after this latest test. I'm skeptical there'll be much new. It, it seems that, that there is a potential then for the uh, regime in North Korea and the Trump administration to at least reap some benefits from having what appears to be a more hostile uh, position toward one another. Well, on both sides you clearly could see some political benefits there. I mean, in North Korea, you know, they really do focus on the U.S. as the enemy. I mean, they talk to me constantly about the hostile policy of the United States, military threats, nuclear threats. You know, they saw what the U.S. did in Iraq. They saw it in Afghanistan. They saw it in Libya. And they make that point to the regime. I mean, they have a wonderful war museum where, of course, it turns out they won the war. You know, there's essentially no mention of the Chinese. I mean, they did everything. The USS Pueblo is, you know, kind of sitting on the river right next to the museum. Lots of people go on it. You know, they present this story, and it's basically enmity towards the U.S., defense against constant American attacks. They use that. You know, the Trump administration conceivably could try to make some political hay out of it. On the other hand, they don't have an obvious answer here. They're saying the North cannot, you know, build nuclear weapons, but every new test, every new missile or nuclear test embarrasses, you know, the administration. If they don't have an answer, I think they're going to come out looking worse, not better. So what is the correct policy with respect to uh, North Korea from the United States going forward to perhaps prevent them from uh, acquiring uh, a, a delivery systems or uh, what? Well, there's no good answer here. I mean, we really are in a world of second best. I'd say the starting point is to try to get a freeze on their testing. That probably requires an offer to eliminate you know, the annual military exercises between South Korea and the U.S., to me, that's a small price to pay if we could at least freeze their current developments. Longer term, then we have to decide, could we live, for example, with a, a nuclear North Korea, but one, say, with its arsenal capped at around 20 nuclear weapons, which is where we think they might be now. You know, that's something which is, I think, livable if unpleasant. You know, and it's better than that than having, say, 100 nuclear weapons in a growing program. Beyond that, the U.S. has to rethink having troops there. As long as we are in the middle of that, the North Koreans fear we're going to be invading them. We're going to be fighting them. We're going to be attacking them. 
Now, if the U.S. wasn't there, actually North Korea would have no interest in targeting America. They don't want war with America. They want to stop America from making war on them. Well, you know, 65 years after the Korean War, do we have to have troops there? Is this a time for South Korea to take over its own defense? And we also have to ask the question, would it make more sense for South Korea to build a countervailing nuclear deterrent? Again, it's not a good option. On the other hand, if the only alternative is for us to be there, and frankly, at some point to be risking Los Angeles and Seattle to protect Seoul, well, it'd be far better for the South Koreans perhaps to be doing that than us. You know, these are tough questions, but we need to start debating this stuff, thinking about it, because, you know, in a few years, we're going to have to answer the question whether we thought much about it or not. Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 